Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. This is episode 1006, my interview with Loretta Bruning, and we're discussing her newest book called Status Games. Enjoy. Hello, Loretta. Welcome back to the Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on again. No, it's great Great to have you here. And um, look, loved your work so much so that we had you on twice, didn't we, in the past? Forgot. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. We were discussing your um, your book back then, which I think changed names, but Habits of a Happy Brain. Yes. Um, which yeah. I think it was called Happy Chemicals or something originally. Yes. Which um, sounds like a uh, drug-inspired book, doesn't it? But I guess it is. Really, because that's what uh, that's what we operate on these chemicals. Yes, but it maybe gives the wrong impression. But <laughs> it could do all perception, isn't it? Hey, so tell us a little bit about just for the people that may not have um, listened to those episodes because they were a while ago. Now I think it was over eighteen months ago. I had you on here anyway. But tell us a little bit about your background and your your work. What you do? Sure. So I was a college professor for twenty five years and a parent, and so. I was sort of trained in idealistic theories about children and students being happy and good and cooperative. And yet I noticed that reality is a bit more complicated. (laughs) And I could never figure it out until I started watching nature videos. And then I was very surprised to see that monkeys are not happy all the time. And the reason is that the chemicals that make us happy are not designed to be on all the time. They're designed for a specific job and they turn on in small spurts. And when you understand the job they do, then it's easier to manage them and to get them in healthy ways. Right. Okay. The, uh, the, uh, the happy chemicals. Um, really, really interesting. Now, this is related to our primal sort of, what do you call it? The, the brain that um, all mammals have? Uh, Mammalian I brain? I call it the mammal brain, but the... the Official name is the limbic brain. The limbic brain, okay. So this limbic brain and these chemicals are designed to help us, um, to help us for survival, yeah, evolutionary purposes. Yes. Is that right? Is that how you explain it? Uh, yes, they're designed to reward you with a good feeling when you see a way to promote your survival. So the good feeling motivates you to go forward, like, Go for it. Invest effort and take a chance. So that's, that's the happy. The job is. Yes. And what's the opposite of that? The stress, the, the, the cortisol? That's to tell you, pull back, stay away, this can hurt you. Awesome. That's, that's as simple as it is, isn't it? And it's really, um, when you think about life like that, you start to understand your certain behaviors and habits and, and things that you always look towards and, and fear from. But these days, um, you know, my, my survival is really not threatened. I've got food, I've got shelter, and I'm privileged for that. Um, so I don't really have this threatening survival, but I, I do have this desire to be happy. And also, we often have threatened feelings, despite the fact that we don't feel threatened with our conscious brain, because in the, um, the neural pathways that turn on these chemicals are built from experience. So past experience that turned on your cortisol built neural pathways that turn it on today. And that's why we all repeat ourselves. We all fear things that hurt us in the past. And we all seek rewards that rewarded us in the past, even when we sort of wished we didn't. 
Right. That's like addictions and stuff, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. Addictions and also not just addictions, but like you only know one way to be happy. So you only do that and you want to broaden out, but you can't figure out why you don't. Right. I mean, addictions, because I think that, you know, we can be addicted to many things these days, even if it's not a particular a drug or anything like that, like your your iPhone or, or sex, I guess, can be quite addictive. Um, many things, watching well, TV or... The, listening to the news, I think, has become a big addiction. And I heard the word doom scrolling, hmm. where... Um, if you think from a caveman perspective, you are always looking for signs of danger. Yeah. And when you're listening to the news, you're constantly looking for that sign of danger so that you could protect yourself. You don't think of that as happy, but that urge to protect yourself, to anticipate harm and take protective action is a natural healthy thing. But right. you can overdo it with the news. Right. And I felt um, I, I switched off the news years ago because I knew it was affecting my happiness. Um, and I just heard that through, you know, people that I listen to, motivational speakers, yada, 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 saying switch off the news, it doesn't do you any good. And sure enough, it, it, it didn't do me any good. And I switched it off and I felt a lot less anxious in life, right? Uh, but recently with COVID, I started checking into the news because I was, I guess, concerned. What's going on in this, in this, you know, in this world of ours and how is this going to affect me? Yeah. And I felt yeah. it very um, stressful and it made me more anxious. And so I've, I've now sort of reduce that and I'd only tune in when I want to, maybe once a week or something like that. How do you find that? Like what what's I mean, is it is it is it good to be doing that? Oh no, I don't do it either. So no? that's probably why we're talking to each other because we both came to this conclusion. It really, I think it builds neural pathways because repetition builds neural pathways. So it always tells you to expect this kind of threat and expect this kind of reward. And again, it narrows your focus to only that threat and that reward. And it doesn't really benefit you. It just benefits whoever's trying to get your attention. Right. Does it play a bigger part like this, this, this doomsday scrolling that you talk about than like positive um, scrolling, like searching for really positive information? Because I feel that the media companies know this and they play on that because that's what gets us in there, you know. Um, but you don't see enough. Like you can go out there and you could watch news channels about positivity and motivation and, you know, um, self-confidence. All these things are out there and available, but we don't seem to be as attracted to that as the doomsday stuff. Well, you're right. Many people are attracted to that, and sometimes it's excessive in the sense that they give you unrealistic expectations. Like, you can be a superstar and earn a million dollars from your website and people hook into that and then they get disappointed. Mm. But again, it's not just the media that does this because now that's the educational philosophy. They try to tell kids, they actually believe that kids will only study when they have a dream. And so it's like some giant dream and then they're like, well, I don't see the connection between learning spelling words and being a doctor, so I'm not going to learn my spelling words. Or even worse, I don't see the connection between math and being a rock star, so I'm not going to learn to do math. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there needs so, to be a balance then? 
Well, so I always go back to the animal perspective. Yeah. So in the animal world, you don't have unrealistic expectations because your neural pathways are built from real lived experience. And when a monkey gets food, like maybe has to climb really hard, work really hard to get the food, but the food is the reward. And that builds a neural pathway to repeat the behavior that got the food. And the unhappy is... Um, let's say if a monkey uh, makes a bad choice, puts his weight on a branch that breaks, ends up at the bottom and gets bitten by a predator, pain creates a pathway. Mm. And if you survive, then you try to avoid that problem again. again. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a new book now called Status Games, Why We Play and How, we, how to Stop. Status Games. Talk to us about the concept of this book and why you wrote this book. Sure. So my earlier books talked about all of the happy chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin. And this one is most... Is that all the happy chemicals? Sorry, is that... Um, Those are are all the ones I focus on because, in my opinion, they're the ones that are happy per se as opposed to having some other job that we don't perceive as happiness. Um, so in the, um, so in this book, you focus on one of them. Yeah. Just one serotonin because that one's really complicated and status. We don't associate status with serotonin, Hmm. but that's what I learned from monkey studies that were done 30, 40 years ago. Okay. So if you watch nature videos, you see how monkeys are constantly sort of having social rivalry and vying for the one up position. And that actually promotes survival. You learn this from evolutionary psychology or evolutionary biology. And natural selection built a brain that rewards you with a good feeling when you get the edge, when you get the one-up position. And serotonin is that good feeling. And we don't usually think of monkeys this way. You know, we are painted this idyllic picture of nature. But in fact... If a monkey grabs for food and you're a stronger monkey, it gets bitten. So before it grabs for food, it compares itself to others and only grabs when it's in the position of strength. And you can see how that's what we're doing. We're always comparing ourselves to others and looking for a position of strength. And we do that because serotonin rewards us for doing that. And it feels good because it's designed to motivate you. Right. This one-up position, is it is it related to ego too then? Like is ego got a big part in this? Yes, it is. Yeah? But um, we are very uncomfortable. Like ego often has a bad connotation. Yeah. And we're very uncomfortable with this idea of our own pleasure in having the one-up position. Even though, you know, we all do feel pleasure from like winning or being in the one-up position. So we see it in others. We don't like to see it in ourselves. So I've collected a long, long list of synonyms of words for this feeling, and we use bad words when other people want the one-up position, and we use good words when we want it ourselves, like um, pride or self-confidence or um, self-esteem. And even pride, you know, some people it has a bad connotation, some people it has a good connotation. Yeah. So what are some of the uh, ones that we look at other people with the bad words that we? Manipulative, (laughs) 
self-aggrandizing, um, saving face, um, uh, winning, you know, wanting to be a winner, um, self-important, um, uh, pretentious. Mm-hmm. So this serotonin that's, you know, going back to the, the evolutionary past of survival, helping us to get that one-up position, it makes sense because we want to be, you know, we want to survive, so we want to be at the top or as close as the top we can, so we're always striving for that. Yes, and in the monkey world, you don't get mating opportunity if you're at the bottom of the hierarchy. So Mm. this was a very profound insight when I learned this. Like, wow, that's heavy. Yeah. Well, they talk about, you you know, the... the male that's the strongest or or the most beautifulest perhaps um, gets the best mate too, and you often see that in society, you know, um, with with um, either high earning or, or well successful individuals, um, or good looking individuals with um, spouses or, or mates that are actually almost equally, you know, as good looking or as successful. Yes, and in the book I use lots of animal examples because. Today, this view is very unpopular. So people have mostly been taught about the exceptions. They're saying, oh, no, that's not true at all. Animals have a democracy. Um, So I give lots and lots and lots of animal examples so you can see. And it is complicated. It's not what I just said was oversimplified. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. So what's an example that you can give us from your book? Yeah, so... um, really fascinating example that that I stumbled on. You've probably heard of mandrills, which is a monkey. It's like a baboon, but it has rainbow fur on its face, like Mm. sort of red, white, and blue fur on its face. And then its butt has the same thing, red, white, and blue fur on its butt. So um, in nature, these, um, these mandrills, if their colors are brighter, the females are more attracted to them. And otherwise, these monkeys are just like baboons. But baboons actually have violent clashes. Yeah. But mandrels do not have violent clashes because they compete on appearances rather than just um, uh, muscles. So that's uh, just an example of how there's uh, different ways to compete. And then from the female side, in many species, um, the females don't compete in that way per se. Um, there's like enough interested males, but it's very, very complicated in every species. But when I say reproductive opportunity, it's not just having sex, but it's having protection for the young. So females compete for protection for the young. Yeah. And there are even like violent females that steal the children of other females. Mm. So that's part of like um, a woman's strength, a female strength equals the survival of her young. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. What do you think people have against like this 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 study of the evolutionary past and our need for survival? And these days it seems to be, you know, it's not like this. I mean, there's, what is there, 52 registered um, sexes these days? You know, as an example, like, let's just have a look at the, the biology of people. Yeah. So what people have against it, um, I didn't say too much about that for a long time, and then I got cancelled. Why didn't you say too much of that? 
Uh-huh. Why didn't you say too much of that? Worried about the oh, repercussions? Well, I didn't say too much of it because I thought instead of just participating in the conflict, I wanted to offer an alternative. Right. But then I got canceled at psychologytoday.com where I had blogged for 10 years. So then I decided to start a new blog at Substack where I explain why academia doesn't like this. And I give a lot of reasons, a lot of complications. But a simple answer would be that people want you to believe that the state of nature is effortlessly happy. And in nature, everything is easy. And so every time we're unhappy or stressed or have to struggle, it's society's fault. It's the system's fault. And if we tear down the system and go back to nature, then everything will be effortlessly easy again. And this is not true, but this is a very desired belief. And it dates back to Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, which was the middle 1700s. So I started researching him and writing about him in the book. And he had not just nature is all happy, but children are all happy. So if you let your children run wild, everything will turn out. But if you met, all problems are caused by society trying to manage children. Well, I wondered, how did that work out for his kids? Because it did not work out for my kids. So and just letting your kids college- just naturally, you know, explore life rather than have some sort of boundaries and systems to control. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep yes, going. Yes, and I noticed that most of the social science professors around me were indoctrinated in that view, and it didn't seem to be working for them either. So that's when I got to researching all of this in more detail. And one thing I learned, Rousseau in the mid-1700s, he gave his babies to the orphanage as soon as they were born. So he never raised any children. He just theorized about how children should be raised without ever having raised them. So this whole theory about how society works a lot of it is just wishful thinking. Hmm. That's kind of deep, man. That's um, like if you look at it, and you know, we put out like right now. There's this, there's this desire to change the way we educate our children. And I guess it's a fear of the unknown because things are changing so fast, and we know that we've always educated people like this, and it seems to have created a fairly good culture in society generally. I would think. But now there's this talk about changing the education and changing the way. And there's these new schools that are popping up that allow kids to be a little bit more free, I think, in that sense. And I guess going back to nature, letting them guide their own education. And maybe that's good because I think kids need to learn how to self-learn. And we don't really give that in education. But what are your what are your thoughts there? I mean, is there do we need this, this control over our kids as their upbringing to then introduce them to society? Well, people should know that in the past, um, children were managed in an extremely strict way, extremely. Like people should really find out about that. And so things have gotten like 90% looser, almost to the point where every little child is allowed to have that, that inner monkey's urge, like I must have my way all the time. And if every little child is raised that they can control all the adults around them, 
They can scream when they don't get their way. Mm. They can refuse to do whatever they want. Mm. Then by the time they get to school, if they haven't learned to manage that, they get diagnosed with a disorder and they get drugged. So that's why I think it's so important that people think a little deeper about this. Is there any going back by? Like, have we gone? And how is this going to affect? I've already seen it affect society because you've got politicians out there now going, if I don't get my way, you know, where? And I think it's just, it's disgusting. Uh, yeah, but um, <laughs> where is not, uh, politicians whining is not really the problem. It's um, if you have a child in school yeah. and they hit other children and your child is surrounded by bullies, your child's school day is interrupted over and over by bullies, and if that bully has to be drugged in order to be socialized. So this is all, I think, what the problem is. Yeah. And the reason, again, is because there is this natural urge for social dominance. It's not a disease. It's natural, and we all have to learn to manage it. And we may not learn to manage it if our parents think that... That certain behaviours are okay. Yeah, because parents would love to give their children that freedom to run wild and not really um, know that it would harm them in the future. Well, it makes it harder, doesn't it, to give them that freedom? And I guess what, what is the fear for a parent not wanting to put those restrictions and those controls and that discipline and, you know, I guess punishment on their kids. In the short run, you have a little bit of conflict in your home. Uh, It's easier to just not have the conflict. And the other thing is you want to give the child what you didn't have. Hmm. So all through human history, people, like, didn't have enough food or shoes or firewood. Um, They didn't have enough rest time. They had to work, you know, 15 hours a day. Even children had to work. But now we have it so easy that, you know, we what else can we give our kids? Hmm. They already have everything. Well, we can give them power because that's the only thing, you know, we feel that we lack. And it's nice to have power, but the bottom line is that you are one of 7 billion people in the world. Hmm. And serotonin is this good feeling you have when you're special. Everyone wants to be special. It's natural. It's normal. But you're only one of 7 billion people. And so you have to design a way in your mind that you could feel special without being the center of the world. Because there will always be other people who are, you'll say, oh, how come he gets to be special? How come he gets to be special? And my simple example is like in kindergarten, every child gets to be what's called superstar of the week. Um, But then every other week of the school year, you have to live with another kid being the superstar of the week. Hmm. It's like everyone gets a first prize for running in the race. Yeah, but then you have to deal with the fact that the other kid got the first prize too, so the kids quickly figure out that it's not first prize. So then they still look for other differentiators. Social comparison is a natural mammalian function, and we must learn to manage it. We can't just blame it on society. So kids are pretty smart, hey? I mean, they're going to pick up on that. I didn't actually win the race, but here I am getting, you know, a reward. 
and then I deserve a reward all the time. And how do that make? How does that make one feel? Like I used to be the slowest kid in the running races, and it it ate me up. But you know, that's what it was. I was the slowest. Whatever. I got. I was happy when well, I got second last. You learn to manage that feeling of not being the best, and then you learn to look for other things where you did have skill and you developed skill because you said, where should I invest my energy? And you made a good decision. Mm-hmm. And that's what we got to teach our kids. It's spot on. Yes, absolutely spot on. What um, this status games, I mean, you talk about it in the book. It's, it's, we think it's making us happier this one-up position, but is it actually making us happier? Well, you can't have it. You can't have the one-up position all the time, and that's what makes people unhappy. So the way I explain, once again, is whatever turned on your serotonin in your past wired you. Whatever gave you the one-up position when you were young, that's the way your brain learned to look for the one-up position. So Mm. you're always looking for it in that particular way, And that's why people repeat themselves, like whether you had to be the star athlete and then you're frustrated when you're not the star athlete, or if you were always at the top of your class and then in adult life, you can't be that anymore. Or if you could get the best drugs or drink more beers than your friend. So that's the trouble with always looking for the one-up position in that old way that you wired in in youth. I can hear your one, your, your grandson in the background there, yeah. having a good old yell. Yeah, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, so this this one up position, I'm just trying to think. We're we're striving for this, so we're always putting ourselves in comparison then with others in society. So that's not a good thing. Oh, is it a good uh- thing? It's not a bad thing. Well, whether it's good or bad, we keep doing it because that's how our brain works. So we have to learn to manage it. And that's what the last third of my book is about. So the first third is sort of about animals and people in history. The middle third is the biology. And the last third is how you can fix it. So I differentiate between what I call junk status and healthy status. So healthy status is finding a way to put yourself up without putting others down. And you have to put yourself up in your own mind without waiting for the world to applaud you. Because if you wait for the world to applaud you, you'll wait forever and then you won't develop the skills that you need. So people in history who have accomplished anything, they did it themselves they didn't just get applause at every step right and that's what you find through education again is you know the rewards and the constant you know raising of of kids up that then you know once they finish that and don't have that anymore they really struggle yeah you know some people people will criticize whatever you do because if you had like in the past It was very much based on grades and class rank, and people blamed that for their unhappiness. Then if everyone gets the same, people blame that for... So the point is, we are challenged with a brain that's difficult to manage, and that's why I focus on learning the skill. One thing that makes it harder, I said that whatever turned on cortisol in your past, so anytime you felt one down in your past, that turned on your cortisol and built a pathway 
that focuses you on that today. So everyone, whatever is there, one down, like I'm feeling behind on this particular aspect of life. And then they see the world through that lens and they make themselves miserable. Right. So you get that sort of tunnel vision of that particular perspective. It's like when you see a you know a new car and you go, oh, I really like that car, and then you start seeing it everywhere. You focus, you know, your attention goes towards <laughs> that which you're focused on. So you're saying that that cortisol pass that's um, being driven by a need to avoid certain situations or pain. We then yeah, actually like find that. ourselves running into more of that because we're so focused on trying to avoid it. Um, everyone's focused on trying to avoid. <clears throat> avoid that pain of their past and whatever uh, whatever it is, they keep repeating it. A simple example like what you said about the car, um, as soon as you get the new car, then you see that other people have even better cars. So if you focus on that, but then someone else might focus on, I can run five miles and you can't run five miles. But then as soon as they can run five miles, they see that there are other people who can run 10 miles. So no matter what, and I use the example in the book, if if you're a young actor and you're struggling and you think, oh, I'll be so happy if only I get a part. But then when they get parts and they make a living, then they're frustrated that they're not a, a star. Then once they're a star, they think they'll be happy forever, but then they're only worried about losing their position as a star. Hmm. So it's never ending. No matter who you are, where you are, this is how your brain works, so you have to learn to manage it. That's what it's about, the management part. Yeah, because that's right. It's a never-ending chase, isn't it? No matter what you're doing, it's, it's always trying to look for the next thing, and that's why it's never enough. So even when you get to what you think is a goal or success – it's not enough and you, you find yourself not happy as you thought you would be when you get to that goal. Yes, and part of it is the dopamine part. So um, mm. I talk a little bit about the other happy chemicals. Yeah. So dopamine is the expectation of a reward. So whenever you're moving toward a goal and getting closer, yeah. dopamine makes you feel good and excited. Then once you get the goal, the dopamine stops. And you don't get any until you set a new goal. Hmm. But if people don't understand how dopamine works and how their brain works, then they think, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with society? You know, the good feeling is gone. And then the complication is more because the other happy chemical, um, oxytocin, that's the feeling of belonging. So sometimes we have a tension between I want to belong, but I also want to rise in the group. Yeah. So, but then if you rise in the group, you might create some friction and then you don't feel like you belong. So then you go back to belonging, but then you feel like, oh, I'm at the bottom of the group. This is no fun. So we flip flop between those two urges. Yeah. And that's why I guess probably holds a lot of people back too from, you know, being healthy, successful, I suppose, because you rise up and then you think, oh, hang on, I'm leaving, you know, other people behind perhaps. That, That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The um, do you think that this whole you know serotonin, um, it's not a problem, but do you think it's it's more prolific nowadays because we're so globally connected, we're on social media, we're 
we're much more fast paced. We're not moving at this slower pace. We don't have these communities that are sort of detached from one another. Um, you know, we're, I don't know. It just seems like comparison is, is out there and it's, it's uh, used against us. I know what you're saying, but um, I really think that uh, life was quite hard in the past. Yeah. People had fewer choices. People had more survival concerns, yeah. even though people sure succeed at filling their head up with survival concerns. But, I mean, in the past, you could risk running out of firewood in the middle of the winter and freeze to death. So people don't realize how how hard life was in the past. Yeah. And this whole meme about how life is harder today is, I think, perpetuated by the news media because they want to pull you in. And, and it, it's like, we're on your side. Your life is so hard and we care about you. And with social media, I think about this way. When there's a, a tight community in the past, like you've lived with a tribe, there's a lot of conflict a lot of rules. They controlled you every minute. You had no choice. There was a lot of social censure and there was a lot of gossip, constant gossip. So all these traditional um, turmoil and conflict is now being played out in social media, but you actually have more choices than you did in the past. So and more freedom. So yeah, mm, good perspective. What? Um, how do we go about managing this um, this serotonin? What have you got um, so for us? So, in the book, I talk about uh, being in the middle lane. So, if you're in the fast lane, that would be like the mindset of I have to be number one every minute. And however you define number one, you have to be there every minute. And if you're not, you surge with cortisol and you're all frustrated. So, the fast lane has obvious problems. Now, the slow lane is the person who thinks, I'll never get anything. I'll always be behind. It doesn't, it's not even worth trying. And you just watch other people going by and you always feel disappointed. Mm. So both of those thought loops are not very healthy. Uh, so that's why I talk about being in the middle lane rather than the fast lane or the slow lane. And what that means is you make conscious decision. When is it worth your investment of effort to be ahead and you don't feel like you have to do it you don't feel like you can't do it you say i have a limited amount of energy i can't be top of everything so i'm going to make a decision of where i'm going to be proud of my efforts i'm going to take a next step and then i'm going to be proud of it so it's always being proud of your next step mm-hmm yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that middle lane. But again, if you if you sort of wired this way, either either way, fast or slow, you know, track to change that and try and step into that middle one is is a big challenge. And to to be more conscious, I guess, is what the word you said before, which I absolutely agree with. Which means, you know, perhaps we need uh, more mindfulness education in society, so people can be more conscious about their decisions. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I talk a lot in my book about how neural pathways are formed and how new neural pathways are formed. And it takes repetition. Yeah. So in my opinion, mindfulness is mostly focused on not activating the old loop, but it doesn't teach you how to create the new loop. So the new loop, you have to create it by consciously designing it. You have to say, 
what, how am I going to give myself that one up feeling? And I suggest specific ways. And then however you're going to give yourself that, you can't expect it to work on the first day, but you have to repeat it and a pathway will build and then it will start to feel natural. And that's okay. That's that's for something specific that you're sort of wanting to move towards in that one up position. So, firstly, we have to decide on which which areas that we want to be in that you know use that energy for that one up position, and which areas where we can sort of put aside, which has got to be hard to do in itself. Yes, and of course, if you try for the one up position, you can't be guaranteed that you're going to be in it, however you define it, you can't be king of the world. So I focus on realistic expectations. Hmm. Like it, I want to make, um, let's say, um, let's just use a simple example that you're trying to sell something. I'm going to knock on five doors every day. And then I'm going to be proud of myself for having knocked on five doors every day and have that sense of pride that I've done something useful. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, to manage that, I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people. And I I think, um, you're right. Like the meditation and mindfulness, you know, helps us not make those past connections, but you, you need to find out new, new connections and new pathways. And that's only by actively exercising something and practicing something, isn't it really? Yes. And many people, when they look for this kind of one-up feeling, they focus on ethics in the sense of like, I'm not going to do something for myself. I'm going to do something for the needy. So that's become the popular meme. And that's the popular way of feeling proud of yourself and feeling one-up by doing for others. But I'm try and encourage people to broaden that because many people who do that, they end up resentful. They think, I can never do anything for myself. I only have to do for others. So then they think they're so proud of being a good person, but they're really resentful. And also, then they look down on others like, I'm more ethical than you are. I'm more caring than you are. I'm more empathetic than you are. So they're still playing the one-up game. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, this, you talk about um, the healthy serotonin and then the, what do you call it, the false serotonin or the? Um, junk status. Junk healthy status. status and junk status. What is, um, I always talk about it with um, happiness too. And I, I, when I wrote my book, um, The Ultimate Life Map, I talk about, you know, superficial happiness and, and real happiness. Um, because I think where a lot of us are driven by this superficial happiness, which is is happiness designed to pull out our happy chemicals um, that aren't actually worthwhile, I guess, you know, whereas the real stuff that makes you happy, genuinely happy, like achieving a goal or, or building on a relationship or um, being healthy, you know, things like that, that's what we should strive for. So what is junk status about? Um. Well, again, I I call it um, putting yourself up by putting others down. Right. That's okay. how I define junk status. So, so yeah. If you can even even if you're healthy, but like I can do ten sit ups and you can't do ten sit ups, so um, it's good to focus on your, that you can do sit ups. But if you're always sneering at other people who can't do sit ups, then 
you can become a little mean spirited. <laughs> yeah, it's just not it's just not healthy, and I guess that's um, being humble, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and and it's hard because then you could go to the other extreme of. I can do 10 sit-ups, but everyone else can do 100 sit-ups, so what's wrong with me? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's constant, that balance, constantly yeah. manage mm. to be happy with where we are. Yeah, no, that's cool. What, what is one, what is the ultimate goal of this book? Or like, What do you want people to take away when they read Status Games? That they can enjoy that one-up feeling but they don't need it every minute. So you don't have to be a slave to it because it was not designed to be on all the time. But just the knowledge of what causes it gives you a sense of power over it rather than just feeling like maybe I have a disorder, what's wrong with me, my good feeling went and it will never come back. Yeah, yeah. I love your work. Uh, Really interesting uh, conversation and certainly something to take away and, and, you know, Put at the dinner party, I reckon, these conversations. Um, now, this book was uh, launched just recently, September the 8th. Is that right? On Amazon? Yes. So we've got um, – we'll get the link. Stick it in the show notes, guys. So um, jump onto thehiddenwide.com and check it out. This is episode, I believe, 1006. Um, so wow. You, so you can – yeah, broke the uh, 1000 barrier. Um, well, I'll give you serotonin points for that. You must be proud and you have more episodes than most podcasts. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, yes, it does. It does feel good, but I mean, I, I, um, looking at this realistically, I get to interview people like yourself, Loretta, and um, you know, the value for me is phenomenal, and I hope that value can be passed on to people that tune into this show. That's what it's all about. Thank you. It, it was that fascinating conversation. Thanks for your great questions. I'll let you get to your grandson there. He's probably waiting Thank for you, you desperately. Thank you for coming on, Loretta. Sure. Guys Take out care. there, great to see you. check Good it out touch. at com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon